You're listening to the Davenport Junior Theater Podcast. Welcome back to the Davenport Junior Theater Podcast, the podcast where we explore the past, understand the present, and dream of the future. Today with me, I have Jim McDaniel. Welcome to the show, Jim. Can you tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, my name is Jim McDaniel, and I am a writer living in Chicago currently. Great. So what years were you involved at DJT and how did you get involved? Oh, uh, years? <laughs> That's it. I, I, from, I can tell you the age I was. Sure, yeah. Um, so from about the age of 11 until the age of 17 and then a little bit after that because I would come back from college and uh, work and volunteer most I think mostly work at that point um, Mm -hmm. during during the summer doing drama day camp and things like that Um, but actually the reason I started junior theater was that I had auditioned for a show at uh, the Barn Theater Mm -hmm. um, in Moline and so this was I was 10 probably 10 at the time um, and didn't get the part and called back, but then didn't get the part. And I was really upset. And that was like the first time I had ever auditioned for something. Um, and my mom, I was, I was in my bedroom crying <laughs> and my mom said, there's a place my mom worked on. I'm from Moline. So mm-hmm. I live in Illinois. I lived in Illinois and my mom worked in Bettendorf. And my mom said, oh, there's this place uh, by where I work. It wasn't by, but she might have said something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that does theater classes. Would that be something you're interested in? And cry, still crying. I'm like, okay, I guess. <laughs> um, and then so my mom signed me up for theater classes. And, and, and then I spent the next six to seven years eight years there. <laughs> nice. So when theater is run completely by the kids, all kids on stage and off stage, there tends to be a few mishaps and there is mishaps in professional theater too, but do you have a favorite backstage or on stage mistake that happened? Um, I mean, most famously, at least for at least involving me, um, for my generation, there was time that a quote-unquote brick wall uh, fell over during in the middle of Cinderella right after Cinderella had like walked off stage and I had to add or I didn't have to but I did ad lib uh, a remark that got lots of laughs Um, the the my other favorite one it it was during a rehearsal um, but fell off the stage and it's one of three stages I've fallen off during the time I was an actor. But in my defense, I had a bucket on my head. I knew I was, I knew I was downstage and I was trying to like find the, the center steps that lead off the stage down the center aisle. Mm-hmm. And I had found them once and like wandered a little bit around, put my foot out to try and find them again, thinking I was in the right place. But I was too far stage left and just fell right off into the front seats oh, no. um, and 
fortunately did not hurt or cut myself or anything bad. It, I mean, it hurt a little, but nothing was broken. I wasn't going yep, I'm fine. Gonna walk back on stage now. <laughs> Put the bucket back on and not wander so far downstage for the rest of the show. So when you graduated junior theater, uh, what did what path did you take and how do you think junior theater had an impact on that path? I mean, I was a theater major, so yeah. <laughs> directly went from went from junior theater to college theater. Um, I went to the University of Minnesota and stayed in Minneapolis for time being uh, improv and sketch. And then because what do you do improv and sketch? You move to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I moved to Chicago to uh, to do the Second City Conservatory. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, ended up right, doing a lot involving uh, radio play and audio drama, which I still do today. Um, and also just got, and that led me to doing more and more writing things and eventually I got my master's in writing and publishing from DePaul and so now I write a lot. Nice. So you also have worked at multiple museums. How did you get into doing that? Um, Basically as a way of trying to put my theater experience to use Mm -hmm. in some sort of how do I make money using theater? How do I how do I make money what am I good at? I'm good at being in front of people and talking a lot. So, and I'm also a bit of a know-it-all. Um, my first, my first real job out of college was at the Mall of America for the aquarium that is underneath the Mall of America. Yep. And actually what I applied for was to be the mascot. So there was a mascot, Sharky the Shark, who would walk around the Mall of America and just essentially, Sharky would walk around the Mall of America and a person would walk Sharky around the Mall of America handing out coupons saying, hey, go, go, to, the, go to the aquarium. Did you know there's an aquarium underneath the Mall of America? There's an aquarium underneath the Mall of America. You can visit there. Um, but I did sort of as the shark and then moved to also doing uh, just... The, the tickets and but also there was a component of trying to attract people into the museum or I keep saying museum I've been at museums this was the aquarium was a long time ago I've been more recently in museums um, trying to get people to come down to see the aquarium trying to get people to who wander down the escalators to be like hey there's an aquarium would you like to go see it um, I was very good at talking on the mic, and there are lots of people who didn't like talking on the microphone. Mm-hmm. Um, so they let me talk on the microphone um, and just sort of riff a little bit, um, all from being comfortable in that situation because of her and because of the improv that I was doing and class taking. So there, that's how I started. Then. I was there for like three years. And then when I moved to Chicago, again, looking for a job, I was looking at a lot of museums to Mm -hmm. kind of continue doing that. Cause I, again, I love doing that and I am a know-it-all and I love museums. Um, 
so I was briefly uh, working at the Museum of Science and Industry mm-hmm. um, for a traveling uh, exhibit, which is actually where I met a lot of the people who I work with now in, in writing. Um, because they were hiring for the Harry Potter exhibit when it was there. So they were specifically looking not people who knew a lot about Harry Potter or, and not necessarily people who were, had worked at museums, but for people who could do a British accent for eight hours. Yeah. <laughs> because we were supposed to pretend that we were actually British. Um, and so I, I worked there until the until that exhibit went away and then... Uh, I later got a job at Cole Children's Museum, um, where I uh, until where I worked until quarantines happened. Yeah. Um, but uh, and I started on the floor and moved up to uh, eventually to helping to manage the floor, but and also was specifically. Uh, responsible at times for the theater games. Uh, program so I would collect as many as many kids who wanted to come and we'd play uh, everybody go or everybody dance mm-hmm. and walk around doing silly theater games that's awesome so you mentioned um, before that you write radio plays and fiction podcasts how did you get into doing that and what has that been like um, so the way I got into that was when I was working at the Museum of Science and Industry uh, again, they hired a lot of actors for this one exhibit. So I, I was overhearing conversations that a few of my coworkers were having about this project talking about something having to do with like writing and fiction and the science fiction world they were creating. And I was really interested in it, but because shy, I didn't necessarily want to, uh, go, I'm sorry if you can hear the yeah, it's fire, okay. <laughs> the fire engine going in the back. I live like three blocks from the from the fire department. Um, but trying to remember where I was, um, I'm shy, so I didn't want to put myself out there. Didn't want to just be like, "Hey, can I join your group?" Um, but then one day, again, I, on a break, I was basically because that's what I do on my breaks. And again, sort of dropping on their conversation they were having, and one of them was trying to think of the right movie uh, to describe this plot point. And I happened to know it, so I just kind of chimed in with the mm-hmm. with the right answer. And the the person who was leading the group kind of turned and looked at me and said, "Hey, Jim, why haven't we gotten you involved in this yet?" And I was like, "I, I don't know." Uh, and so he came, came over and gave me sort of the rundown and. Uh, and invited me to to write for the group. And eventually that led to, originally it was just going to be a sort of staged reading program Mm -hmm. where we would write some scripts and maybe like once a month we'd meet in a place that maybe had a stage and would perform it on stage or do like a staged reading. Um, And we kind of wrote the scripts for that and then nothing happened for a very long time and then they like almost six months I think it was only six months um they came back finally after I had given up on 
anything actually happening with this. And they're like, no, we decided, I think we're going to do this as a podcast. So I think we're going to record it and we're going to do it, put it out internet. Cause that's a thing that's happening now. And I was like, okay. and we did that. And I didn't hear anything for another three to four months. And then finally like, Oh no, yeah, we're releasing it. Get ready. And we've kind of been doing that ever since. And then that led to finding out more about podcasting and specifically fiction podcasting and live radio plays and, and other groups and theater groups that do radio plays. And so I started submitting things to, to other places as well. Um, and I've been doing that uh, at time and it's, it's, a lot of fun. <laughs> the The great thing I will say about doing an audio drama or a fiction, which is why I really like it, it can can put ever monster you want. You can have space battles, have dragons fighting in the air, um, and the only limit is what the sound designer or foley artist can do. Mm-hmm. So, whereas if you that in a script for theater or, or, you know, for live theater or for a, uh, for a screenplay, you're, you're going to have to make some concessions because that's going to come. Whereas doing it for audio, you just have to make it sound really good. Mm -hmm. So if people want to find those, where, where do they go to? Uh, you can find uh, a lot of the do on um, on iTunes or anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, the current one I'm writing for is called Unwell, a Midwest Thick Mystery. You just look up like Unwellcast or Unwell on, on Apple or whatever and it'll show up. Um, a lot of my standalone pieces uh, were the audio theater script writing edition, which is a midnight audio which actually is a great resource if you want to hear more podcasts um it's a npr show out of uh, columbus npr wcbe i believe are the call um and they just run different drama podcasts uh every every friday uh at around 11 eastern or, or midnight central, but it depends on daylight savings time and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they have a script writing competition most uh, most years. Um, and so I've got had a couple pieces chosen for that that they've then produced. So, and then uh, a few, well, one and currently one on hold because of everything shut down. Uh, a few pieces with uh, Wildclaw Theater for their radio play festival, Describe. Um, so my, you can find my piece, which was Monstros, which was three years ago, um, on on their website. Awesome. So, what inspired your love for writing? Honestly, it came out of um, frustration as an actor. <laughs> uh, at my when I went to the University of Minnesota, I was really frustrated because the kinds of plays that they were putting up were not the kinds of plays I wanted to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, they were very much about doing more modern, 
and to an extent avant-garde and provocative theater and I just wanted to do, do like comedies and, mm-hmm. and musicals. Um, so I got really frustrated and so I said, uh, they're not gonna do the plays I wanna do, I'm gonna write the plays I wanna do. So I started taking uh, more writing classes and uh, took, the, took the two playwriting classes that they offered three times. <laughs> By which I mean, I took one of the classes twice because I just wanted to like keep writing, mm-hmm. and that was the only their own way to script writing or yeah playwriting classes at, on offer through the theater department. There was also an English department playwriting class, but it was at night when mm-hmm. actors would be acting. Yeah, so it, was, so it was basically specifically designed to keep out the theater kids. Good. <laughs> like, no, we only want English department students taking this class. Thank you very much. Um, so yeah, I did that. And then I continued on with uh, sketch after, after college taking like sketch writing classes and things like that. And then a, a few years ago, basically just kind of made that transition from actor to writer. Cause the, the good thing about being a writer um, is that you get to do the work ahead of time. Um, Whereas if you're an actor, you have to go through the process of auditioning Mm -hmm. in order to do the thing that you want to do. Yeah. So you have to become a, I'm a good auditioner in order to then do the good acting that you know you can do. Right. Um, But they have to pick you and that can be frustrating at times. Whereas as a writer, I am in control of of everything and I can create the product ahead of time and then present the best possible, be like, rather than, I, I apologize, I'm rambling. No, you're okay. Um, rather than, you can't show a director in an audition how good you would be at a part because that's not what the audition is. Right. Um, whereas I can write as well as I can and edit it down and revise it and create the best thing I can possibly create without help and then present that to someone and be like, this is what I can do. This is my best foot forward and, and show that to them as a writer. And then from there, it can be made better that um, makes through editing and revision and things like that yeah so other than radio plays and fiction podcasts you also wrote a book so can you tell us about that yeah uh so my book is called an unattractive vampire and it's basically what it sounds like in the title it's the story of a an ancient vampire in the sort of nosferatu vein who wakes up to find that now vampires are pretty and doesn't know what to do about that. Because in his day, vampires were bad guys. Right. <laughs> and he's kind of angry and frustrated about that and decides he's going to do something about it. And that That's the story of of the book. And it was a, and a thought I had probably a little after college. I can remember like going on walks around campus and like I basically it started as sort of an idea for a bit or like a sketch Mm -hmm. and 
I just kept thinking of more jokes to add to it and add to it and add to it. And then I came up with the thought of the title and then like, and then everything else kind of exploded from there. And I spent several years thinking about it before I actually, cause I didn't originally, I didn't think I had enough patience or, uh, just concentration um, to to write like a whole book because it's it's a lot to do, yeah. um, and until like again about a few years ago after I had already been doing a lot of writing for the radio uh, radio shows I was like why don't we try this we don't have anything really going on right now mm-hmm. acting wise so why don't we like try and focus on this um and then spent like a year writing it and then another year revising it and then nothing happened and then i went away for a little bit and then came back to it and spent a little bit more time revising it um and then actually uh the way it got published was not traditional but one of the way i had gone to a lot of writing conferences and one of the things that I had learned there is like another way to potentially get published other than just to uh, go out and get an agent and go that route is to, you know, there are, comp- there are competitions and there are, um, you know, places that will accept things and then read them and then potentially publish them based on, Mm-hmm. you know, these competitions. And I heard about one and I entered it and mine was one of the the books that got chosen or who that that won. So um so yeah, that's okay. how the book came to be. So where can people find the book? I mean anywhere that you uh you find books. It's available on Amazon. It's okay. available you can order it through bookstores. You probably can't find it in bookstores. You could probably f- find it at uh, the, I don't know about the Davenport Public Library, but I know the Moline Public Library has probably been uh, forced to, to take some from my parents. <laughs> so we don't live too far from that library, so. Nice. So we like to also ask some fun questions. So do you have any hidden hobbies or talents that not many people know about? Um, a few, most, most of them are recent because for a long time writing was my hobby and then it became less my hobby. Um, I basically because of, uh, quarantine, I started painting. Um, I'd been meaning to, I'd always said that like, I would really like to paint to the extent that for one Christmas, my parents got me like a big box starter set of oil paints Mm. that remained unopened for five years until this April, at which point I was like, let's see what happens. And so I've been doing a lot of painting, uh, video games. That's not a, that's a hobby I've been doing for a very long time in the last five years or so, uh, D and D and role-playing games. Though I watch a lot more role-playing games than I actually play role-playing games because mm-hmm. they that requires people yeah <laughs> and that's a hard thing to to necessarily come by and or schedule um but yeah so I actually I don't 
watch a lot of TV anymore, but I watch watch a lot of live plays of Dungeons and Dragons and Vampire the Masquerade and uh, the new Star Trek role-playing game. Like, I watch a lot of shows, so, which are, as opposed to a TV show, which is 30 minutes long, these are like two to three hours yeah. long. <laughs> so I spend a lot of time doing that. Okay, back to questions that's not Dean. Um, if you could have lunch with anyone throughout history, who would it be and why? So I thought a lot about this question. Um, it's, it's hard to pick. My, my choice is not a specific person, but I'm very, I write, when I write things, I write a lot of historical horror and mm-hmm. historical horror comedy. And I like history a lot and I like mythology. Um, and a question that's been bothering me, particularly of late and with specifically, the reason it's come up is because of a thing I'm writing right now, which is set in uh, the Bronze Age, which mm-hmm. is much further back in history than you'd think it would be. Um, and when you go back that far, like the the mythology is different. Like in in Bronze Age Greece, these aren't the actual Greeks as we know them, and Greek mythology doesn't exist yet. And the gods are different, and some of the gods aren't there. And one of the gods who's not there is Hades. Wow. God of the underworld. Poseidon is the god of the underworld. In fact, Poseidon is the king of the gods, too. Hmm. And it's so much different. And I can't find the answer for where Hades uh, comes from. Like, I can't find that point where now Hades is here and how Hades... Zeus is pretty obvious, at least from what I can tell. Zeus actually comes um, from, from the east, from a lot of the Mesopotamian and Hittite cultures. Mm-hmm. And this, I'm going full history nerd for, for, the, for the kids listening. Um, but because they all have like, all of their major king of the gods are like storm gods, um, like Zeus, like Thor. Uh, not that Thor is Mesopotamian or anything. Uh, but um, so he, he's pretty obvious and like he kind of exists, but he's not like the big god in charge. It's Poseidon. Um, but I can't figure out where Hades is or how he came to be. And it like I spent an entire night a few months ago just going down Wikipedia rabbit holes, trying to find the answer to this question. Um, and so what I would like to do is go back in time and meet with one of the priest or priestesses of the uh, underworld cults and be like, so about this Hades guy, where's, who, who is that? <laughs> can, can you tell me about that? Although I would probably... They would either know know of him and say, oh, yes, he's always been a part of this, or they wouldn't know who I was talking about, and I just invented it. Back to DJT. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite memory of your time there? Uh, lots of them. Um, I, I know that there's, there's one on, on the list of questions that we'll get to, uh, but uh, being backstage at the Adler, 
um, for shows that we did at the Adler, that was always fun and made you feel special being in like the big theater, the grown-ups theater, um, where, you know, being in the professional uh, changing rooms back mm-hmm. there. Um, that was always good. Also, uh, doing the tea party scene from Alice in Wonderland, that was kind of what I became known for in my time at junior theater, just because we made, they made it into a touring piece that we would take around for like a year, year and a half. Four of us just did the tea party scene over and over and over at different places throughout Quad Cities. And it got to the point where I can't do this anymore, sadly. But at one point, you could take any of the four of us, Daniel being one of them. Uh, he was the March Hare during this book. You could take any one of the four who are in that scene and we could do everyone else's lines and we could just recite the scene for me because of how many times we had had to run it. Um, there's also another story that goes along with the one that's in the notes um, from Drama Day Camp. Uh, when one of the time doing the staff uh, spotlight scene to pump up the kids before their shows in the afternoon. We put on one of the Three Little Pigs plays Mm -hmm. and I was the big bad wolf and I can't remember the title of the play but part of the play is the director keeps stopping the scene to give people notes and keeps telling the wolf that they need more makeup and a makeup person shouts makeup coming and runs on stage and just beats the wolf with a, with a powder puff huh. repeatedly over and over. And we were doing this and Judah, who was the makeup person, normally I don't think anyone had ever put actual powder on the powder puff. It's just a visual gag of the wolf getting hit with a pillow. Uh, Judah actually put a ton of talcum powder oh, yeah. on the powder puff and then ran on stage and hit me with it. And it was the first time he hit me with it. It just exploded in a cloud of talcum powder. And there's a picture, it's one of my favorite pictures where you see Judah and you see my body and my head is just, you, my head you can't see because there's just a cloud of talcum powder exploding from it. Um, and it literally covered the stage. We had to sweep the stage be- before the kids' shows because it just landed everywhere. Um, and I had it in my mouth and in my nose and my ears. And for the rest of the this the sketch scene, I had to like spit because I didn't want to swallow because there was it was all in my mouth. Um, and afterwards I blew my nose and it was pink and I couldn't smell right for like a week after that. Like it burned out my, my sense of smell for a little bit. Um, and then like there, we also, we had the ice cream social before the kid shows uh, again afterwards. And I came out and the, and it, t- and the ice cream tasted weird because oh, no. of all the talcum powder. And yeah, so that, that's another favorite memory. <laughs> 
Well, I was talking to Daniel Sheridan, and he mentioned that your favorite memory might be a Drama Day Camp lightsaber duel. So what was that? Yep, that was another one. Um, so I don't know why we decided to do this. Um, the, the Phantom Menace had just come out, and Daniel, Ben Pruitt, and I decided we were going to recreate the lightsaber duel between Darth Maul, Qui-Gon Jinn, and Obi-Wan Kenobi. And we were going to perform it for the, um, for the kids, for the staff spotlights. We were going to do a full on, um, oh, what would you call it? Fight choreography piece. Mm -hmm. um, and using, and this was the mistake, uh, using uh, broom handles from, from the, the prop shop. So we, we got a bunch of broom handles on them and we practiced for like the entire summer uh, and choreographed it ourselves, which was the other mistake. <laughs> um, today, I'm pretty sure there would be an, an actual adult who knew what they were doing uh, choreographing this and making sure that everyone was safe. But this was just us doing it on a whim and putting it together and mostly not hitting each other with broomsticks. <laughs> um, and yeah, and we performed it for the kids and it was a big success. Although I think it was Ben didn't quite get his stick up. Uh, Ben was playing Darth Maul and he didn't completely block one of the one of the pieces and got hit in the face and started bleeding oh, no. in the middle of it um though he he like he just wiped it on he had uh his he had white tape on his fist so he just kind of wiped it off and you couldn't necessarily tell during the during the scene but then like afterwards we were we were looking at each other and we're like oh no you need to you need to go deal with that before any of the kids see you okay. uh, so so please rush off stage and go to the office and <laughs> and uh get some ice or something um so yeah that was that was fun <laughs> so why do you think programs like junior theater are important to support uh i mean even today most of the time there's a children's theater it's uh theater for children not theater by children mm -hmm. um so it's adults performing rather than children performing and i think why junior theater is so special and one of the the reasons i mean we all went there was because to it, the the best way to get kids excited about theater is to let them do it uh and to get them on stage and let them perform and do and the best way to teach them about all the other things in theater is again to let them do it let them do the lights let them do the sound let them help make the sets um with adult supervision mm -hmm. but let them let them have their hand in it i would not I would not be doing what I'm doing now if my mother hadn't been trying to cheer me up um, and 
there hadn't been classes at junior theater, I would not probably have gone down the acting path, which wouldn't have led me to, to writing. Um, so without that, I wouldn't be creating stories, which is what I love to do. This brings me to the final question I have for you, which is what advice would you give a current junior theater student? My, my main piece of advice that I thought of this, that is junior theater specific is uh, don't be afraid to be the clown, by which I mean don't be afraid to volunteer to be Showtime Pal. Mm -hmm. Because when I was there, everyone hated being Showtime Pal. No one ever wanted to be Showtime Pal, and I always wanted to be Showtime Pal. Um, and so they let me be Showtime Pal, or they would just be like, hey, Jim, we need someone to be Showtime Pal. You want to do it? And I was always hanging around because uh, because that was where my friends were. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'll, be, I'll come be Showtime Pal. And it lets you be a part of more shows because you'll, you'll get to be there at the performance. You'll have to be there at the performance. Um, and you're, you get to be a part of the show and you get to hang out with everyone, which is like, being on stage is great, but being around all your friends is also great. And that gives you an excuse to do that. Um, you're a part of the show, you get laughs, you get to be with the audience. Um, and you get in, in adult life, this would be called networking. Hmm. Um, in, in junior theater life, it's called, Hey, hanging out, being with friends, but it, it also allows, the everyone else to see you everyone else to get to know you and then maybe they'll cast you because they know you better and they know that you like to do things and can and can do them and that you're willing to put yourself out there and, and be the clown or do what needs to be done if if someone asks you and hey they like you so they'll cast you in this thing and that's good too also it's just fun to be the clown mm -hmm. it really is i don't know why everyone always had a problem with it I think that's great advice. I've, I've been Showtime Pal myself, not in any of the shows, but I've gotten to go out uh, throughout all Davenport dressed like Showtime Pal. So. <laughs> that, that's always fun. Go, going, going out pre-made up and just as you're driving by, just like looking at people and waving out the windows in yeah. full clown. Yeah. I, one of the things that I, I'll, I, I because <laughs> because this is a podcast, I'm going to tell, I'm an old man going to tell a story now. Um, so one of the things as a mascot that I learned is that there are some people that are going to be, and especially with kids, they're going to, some people who are going to love you. And there's some people who are going to be super afraid of you and to recognize that difference and react accordingly. Yeah. So like, there were always some kids who were like, go right up to the mascot and give them a great big hug and, and talk to them and high five. And then there are some kids who are not sure. And you just kind of do the, the little high five thing or, or the fist bump. And then there are some parents who just bring their kids up to the, to the mascot, even though they're clearly not sure or clearly afraid and just like throw them at the mascot. And then there are some kids that are just not having it at all. And you just kind of back away and move around them because you don't want to like scar them for life. Right. <laughs> and then there, there are the adults who, who are super afraid of the mascot. And then you just go up to, you, you just make them deal with it. 
because <laughs> it because it gives everyone else around them a good laugh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, thank you so much again for taking the time to talk to me. No problem. Thank you for for having me. Yeah, I, I've enjoyed this. I and enjoyed talking about junior theater. Yeah. This has been the Davenport Junior Theater Podcast. Thanks for listening. 